What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Derek Loudermilk Show. This is episode 333 with Andrew Henderson, the Nomad Capitalist. Andrew Henderson is our guest today. He's the founder and creator of Nomad Capitalist, and he helps seven and eight figure entrepreneurs go where they're treated best. And Andrew and I used to speak at some of the same events back when I was a full-time digital nomad. We've been keeping track of each other over the years, and he's been getting a lot of attention and press recently because people are thinking about, should I leave my country? Should I have a plan B? Should I, in case the shit hits the fan, how do I need to prepare financially? How do I need to prepare in terms of citizenship and what I'm going to be doing for a living and all of these things? And he has been creating some really amazing content. He has over 2,000 blog posts and 1,000 free videos uh, over on YouTube and on his blog that he has created to help people have multiple citizenships, passports, investments around the world, houses, uh, so you can always have a place to go. And he really helps people optimize their life, their taxes, their financial abundance, feeling safe and getting the things you want, living in the places you want to live so you have access to the beaches, to the mountains, to dating, to culture, whatever it may be. And in particular, shifting your mindset to think like a nomad capitalist, to think like someone who can go and live anywhere in the world and that there's not necessarily one place that's best for everything, but you get to pick and choose what's going to suit your needs if you're single or a couple or a family or any of these things. It was really great having Andrew on the show today because it, it felt like we were having an intimate conversation and, and he was able to reveal some things. We got a couple scoops in this episode, things that he's never talked about publicly in terms of his work, his creative process. And, and really, I hope this interview teaches you how to think like a nomad capitalist, like somebody that has their cake and eat it too, some, somebody that has a win-win-win across the board and, and really can pick and choose from the best the world has to offer and is not bound by the constraints of you know, where you're born or your, your home language or any of these things. So without further ado, here is Andrew Henderson. Andrew Henderson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great. So, uh, so great to be with you. And where, where are you joining us from today? Because we've been sort of playing, you've been in touch for the last six months and you've, you've been bouncing around from Malaysia. You were, then you were in the Balkans for a while and now you're in Colombia. Yeah. So I'm in Bogota, Colombia, and, uh, it's been an interesting, of course, year for everybody, uh, Last March, I tried this thing where I take a week off every once in a while. It was the worst thing I ever did. And I went to Myanmar. I just, I didn't take the laptop. I was totally disconnected. And in the middle of this, I'm getting messages. Malaysia is going to shut down. You better come back. And so I dropped everything. I came back. I made it the last day before they closed down. And we spent uh, about six or seven months in Malaysia. And quite frankly, after everything ended, it was pretty nice. 
Uh, they had about six weeks, got a lot of stuff done inside, and then they pretty much reopened things, and we had a really nice time while everyone else was was sweating it. Uh, and then I left in early October to go to, to Belgrade, spent three months with our team. We've been growing a, a, it's our biggest team in the world there. And then uh, right after uh, New Year's, came here to Bogota and picking some stuff up. So uh, great place to be. Yeah, and do you do you have a house in each of those places? Uh, I have a house. Yeah, this has been my thing. Is uh, I spent years uh, staying in hotels. I was I'm like Marriott, Lifetime, whatever, super platinum. <laughs> and uh, you know, after a while, you kind of notice, and not, not to be a whiner, but if you spent like fifteen hundred nights in hotels like, you know, they all talk the same way and like certain things just don't work. And so I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to invest in having homes. And so I'm renovating the home in Belgrade. I, had, I wasn't living there for those three months. Uh, we finished renovating in Bogota and in, and in Kuala Lumpur uh, in anticipation of our growing. I had a bachelor pad and now as a married man, I had to get a bigger place for the future growth. And so now we're, so they say, my wife was saying, if you can survive a renovation, they tell, you know, married couples, you know this, I guess. If you can survive a renovation, you'll never get divorced. I think we've survived like four at one time. So it's, oh uh, I think we'll, we'll be together for life. We just, yeah, my wife and I just, uh, our friend repainted the kitchen for us and it just deciding on a paint color. <laughs> it's, it, you really, uh, yeah, well, I, I think I have this thing where um, she is rather um, deferential to me on the paint colors and things like that. So it's nice. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So whoever cares more, right? Gets to decide. Well, well, perhaps. So, uh, so because you, you, you've been traveling the world for many years as a single person, and then uh, now you're married. Um, what's the difference you've noticed? Well, I haven't really noticed a difference. I mean, I, I you know, I think it's, uh, it's a great experience. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, the idea of traveling the world and, and I've been in Bogota many times before I've been in Medellin in Colombia and, you know, people think, oh, wow, a single guy, you know, it's fantastic. And it can be, and you remember that, but, you know, um, there's also times when, you know, you, you wish you had somebody around. And so I think it's nice to have that. What I've noticed from her perspective, and I tell this now, you know, the great experience I have is we work with couples and families and I get to now understand the perspective of twice now we've spent three months in a hotel suite at, or hotel suites at different places. And it's not her favorite thing to do. And, you know, I've kind of got used to it. I don't love the hotel experience, but, you know, I have like a hotel in a couple places that I can tolerate. And um, she doesn't, she, she likes the home atmosphere. And so, you know, one thing I've been telling people is if you're making a lot of money in crypto or in business or whatever, invest in your lifestyle because we were just out this afternoon we're shopping for like vases and, and I like this much more than she does honestly. We're shopping for throws and pillows and stuff like that. And for me, walking into a space that I've designed, even though it may not be a, a huge space, I'm, I'm not living in mansions here, but you know, walking to something that you designed where everything is perfect, you know, some of these Airbnbs, these hotels, they're very sparsely decorated. And I feel if you're if you're a successful person, having a, a perfect environment is very productive. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a friend who who insists, you know, she tells me the psychology of how your space will make you more productive yeah. and, and all of these things. Yeah, totally. And and as I recall, you know, the moving from living out of a carry-on to and then and coming back to have all my stuff that was in storage here, it's really nice to have your favorite things. 
And I'm wondering right. if you have any like secret, um, like your uh, special things about each house in each country that um, you, you stash there for yourself? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I'm a little bit OCD, but I like things to be like, I like to get fragrances. So I'll get like Tom Ford fragrances. They have to match. And whenever I hear talk, I'm like, I kind of like that. No, we're only getting the, they match, the bottles look exactly the same. And so I like to have the fragrance for each city. I like to have like, what would Bogota smell like? And there's maybe two or three of those. What would, you know, Kuala Lumpur, like what? And so I do that. I like to have my teas that I get from TWG uh, in Asia. Um, but then I like to have little elements that are kind of transcendent. So I'll get, um, you know, Louis, Vuitt Louis Vuitton publishes these really nice travel books that are colorful and they're fun. And you can get three or four of them. And I, and I kind of imagine in each place, like who would live here? And so, you know, Bogota to me is more masculine. So you think like, you know, it's a, it's a maybe an older gentleman. It's, a, you know, a cow skin rug. Uh, it's more greens, more darks, more rustic vibes. But, you know, in Kuala Lumpur, it's so light. You have these huge windows, light is flooding in. Everything's modern and glassy. And you think, you know, this is where, you know, two young supermodels would live going to Asia. And so you have the little, the red Buddha kitsch because that's what they would have. They would be kind of so you know, silly about what age is about. They're like, we have to have a red Buddha. And so I like to have the little kits, but then I also like to have, okay, you have the Louis Vuitton books for Singapore, for Japan, for whatever. And in Bogota, it's all different. And so I kind of like to tie things together with their own flower, their own fashion elements. So this is uh, the part of me that I guess aspires to be Tom Ford. I get to, I get to, you know, the different side of the guy who's been in business, uh, you know, for 19 years. Yeah, no, that's fun. That's fun. You would get, get along great with, 17 with years. my wife. Yeah. And um, so let's, hmm. well, since we're on, on the topic of business for 17 years, uh, I, I know from your book that you did some broadcasting down in Arizona, but um, now you're the nomad capitalist, but I'm curious about some of the earlier business ventures that you, that you were in. The big one I was, so I grew up, my father's side hustle, you would call it today, was on, he hosted a radio show and he worked his way up. Uh, he was the afternoon guy on on what's now WTAM in Cleveland, this big talk station. And so sometimes I would go down to the station with him and he's always, he always said like, listen, there's no money in radio. This is back even in the nineties Some people listened to the radio, the eighties and nineties, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. So I put the two things together when I was 19 and I said, I'm going to be in the radio business. And so I was in the business basically of uh, in financial terms, being a market maker for radio infomercials. And we would go out and we would find radio stations that were dying or, or nearly dead. Uh, AM stations, you know, the stations, as you would call it, closest to the glove compartment on the old car radios. It'd be like 1600, 1570, that kind of thing. And, you know, these flea watt AM radio stations that were struggling to survive. And I'd say, listen, you know, sell us uh, 10 hours a, a week and we'll put on some, uh, you know, the gold show or the Colin Clinton show. And you'll actually be able to survive and scratch out a living and keep your message on the air. And so we did that and we ended up working with, you know, some Fortune 50 clients, some pretty big direct marketers. And so what that allowed me to do was be towards the end on autopilot where I started investing in other stuff. I guess the, one of the more successful things was a swimming pool cleaning business because I bought a house. And like anyone who wants to get any kind of service, even in the United States, I look back now. You know, you call 20 guys and nobody comes over to clean your pool. And I said, you know what? F it. I'm going to go out and pay $16,250. There's a guy who does repairs, but he picked up 20 swimming pools from people uh, that he doesn't want, but they're all really close together and he'll train me. So I hired a guy who like wanted a part-time job. He, you know, the guy trained him and we just kind of acquired the businesses. We used the marketing experience 
and we built it up to one of the largest companies in Arizona for pools. Uh, and then I sold it about a year and a half later. Um, so there was that. I helped a guy start an insurance company. That was my father's main business was in the financial services. It wasn't for me, but I, I kind of just handed it over to my friend, uh, you know, did some stuff with, with cars. Um, so just, you know, was looking for kind of shark tank like investments, but, uh, eventually exited radio, uh, exited pools, kind of left the other stuff kind of drip away or, or, or handed it over. But uh, yeah, Nomad has been the most exciting thing because I think it's been the thing that people really want, where people come to you and say, uh, every year more than the last, uh, I need a second passport. I want to reduce my taxes. My country is falling apart. And I think this last year has been really interesting in that regard. And, and when did you become the Nomad capitalist? When did that sort of become your, your identity? Well, you know, it's interesting. As I was in the process of selling the last business, I remember sitting on the couch with a friend of mine saying, like, I would like to. I, I've been traveling around the world uh, part-time, and I think for about a year then, it had been the majority of my time. But I would come back and forth to the U.S., you know, whatever number of months a year. And I was saying, all right, I'm going to be done with all my businesses. I'm going to have a pile of cash. You know, I'm going to go full-time traveling. I'm going to start in Asia. Then I'm going to go to Eastern Europe. I'm going to kind of spend a month in each of these places, build a network, you know, meet bankers and entrepreneurs and what have you. And I said, you know, maybe I can turn this into like, I'll be Jim Rogers or something. I'll be a media creature. And I said, you know, what would you call it? And this kind of thought, you no, know, bad capitalist. And I just remember typing into the... Uh, the domain search bar, you know, and it was, it was open and I, I just kind of adopted that. And so as I started to uh, travel, I just blogged about my experiences. Hey, I met an attorney in the Philippines today. This is possible. And, you know, uh, you know, stuff I already knew and it just kind of, you know, snowballed. Yeah. And, and Andrew, the reason I wanted to have you on was because I'm seeing, you know, my YouTube feed is full of influencers and billionaires leaving California uh, mm. People are leaving Texas and migrating within the United States, um, but there's also the bigger picture of people being like, "I'm gonna, you know, I have to leave my country for political reasons or or censorship or any of these things." Uh, and so I was assuming that your business would be doing great because everybody would be sort of like searching for what you do. Um, yeah. So maybe you could just talk about that. Um, you know, people people are moving within the states, but maybe they should be considering going. Ex out, of, out of their country yeah. or out of the U.S. Well, so I was on Fox Business recently and she asked me, she said, yeah, everyone's leaving California. Why wouldn't you just go to Florida? I said, listen, my five magic words are go where you're treated best. I didn't say go where it's a little bit better, like a wee little bit better, right? And so people say the taxes in California are killing me. And I kind of think, remember back in like 2008 when oil prices went through the roof? And I remember people who lived in LA, I was out in maybe 2007, I was out in LA for six months working on one of my first radio projects. And people were saying, we can't drive from LA east to Big Bear for two hours, you know, that uses 10 gallons of gas because gas is $4 a gallon instead of $3 a gallon. It's like, it's an extra like 18 bucks. Like you're, you're that hard, you're hard up for 18 bucks. It's like, but it feels so much more because you see $4 a gallon. You see California wants a wealth tax. You see they want 16.5% income tax. But here's the reality. If you're an entrepreneur and you're paying you know, top federal rate, you're paying California rate, you're paying self-employment tax, maybe in California you're paying 52%. You move to Florida, now it's 43%. 
what's the big difference? You're still giving, you still have a business partner taking 43 out of every $100 and contributing basically nothing, right? And shaming you in the process, by the way. Now, it's not even like, you know, hey, thanks for your contribution. They send you a Christmas card. They literally take a crap on you now. Like the entire political class, you know, you're the enemy. And so, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people have been calling us partially because of tax. Um, even Americans, it's, it's a, you know, people think, oh, uh, the United States taxes worldwide income, no matter where you live. That's correct. But you can still use the foreign earned income exclusion. You can still use corporate structures. You can still use, it's more difficult the last couple of years, but you can still reduce your tax rate dramatically. You can still move to Puerto Rico and almost abolish your tax rate. Um, and so there's a lot of different options. And I just think, you know, if your goal is fewer regulations, less taxes, don't just make a little bit of an improvement. Go all the way. It's like Jerry Seinfeld used to do that thing like, why isn't the plane just flying as, as fast as it can possibly go? It's like, <laughs> if, you're move, if you're moving, just move. You know, you're leaving the kids' school. All those things that you, you say why we can't leave California, you're doing it to go to Amarillo. You might as well take it all the way. Yeah, I'd love to hear maybe, uh, and, and I know we'll tease out some of your own experience, but um, maybe just an example of somebody who maybe was was thinking of moving within the States and then actually just left the country. And sort of yeah, well, I had a guy I'm talking to today, actually. We're working on his plan. Uh, he's a crypto guy. I've got a lot of cryptocurrency guys right now. And so that's the thing. If you're an American, capital gains are an issue. Um, you cannot simply say, I don't live here anymore. You've got to have a more complex strategy than that. And so, uh, you know, he was thinking, should I move somewhere else? Because I don't like California. And he was thinking of moving to Utah. And then he realized, like, maybe you should go somewhere and actually do something about this capital gains tax. Okay, I mean, California, maybe I'm saving a couple bucks, but, you know, why don't I go to Puerto Rico? Or why don't I look at even expatriating? Um, you know, and so, you know, there's a guy that if we, you know, if he thinks, you know, Bitcoin's going to $200,000 a coin, it's $40,000 now, you know, he owns, I don't know, a hundred of them or something. I mean, that's millions of dollars that you can save by reducing that, you know, and who only, and, and you think, oh, capital gains, 23.6%. Well, Joe Biden, he's now in charge. They have the Congress, they have the Senate, and he wants to make it 40%. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, I think it's going to get worse. Not only with all the countries saying we have to pay for the pandemic, let's tax the rich. Uh, and in the state where I lived as an adult, Arizona, they just voted in. And it's a legislatively Republican state. If you make 250 grand a year or more, you're now deemed rich and your state tax rate just doubled, basically. And so even in Arizona, not exactly a bastion of communism, maybe it's becoming one, but they're raising taxes on the rich and you don't even be that rich. And so there's a guy who's saying, I'm either going to go to Puerto Rico or I have family uh, from Europe. Maybe I can get my European passport. We're working on that. He's going to do one or the other. He's going to save millions of dollars by not being in the U.S. tax net. We have entrepreneurs who do e-commerce. I know that's your thing. We have people who are selling stuff online, doing consulting. And, you know, they're just saying, um, I think they're seeing what I've been talking about for years. And it's finally making sense because I think that in 2020, people really saw the breakdown of society in a lot of places. They saw that the government doesn't care about them. Uh, we just saw recently how the U.S. and Canada are both going to potentially turn people away, their own citizens, if they're COVID positive. Australia won't let their own citizens leave. Uh, people who got stranded at the beginning of this thing, you think, oh, my embassy will rescue me. No, 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 they didn't. And I think people really realize, like, 
the government's not there to help you. They're just taking my money and wasting it on a bunch of stuff. And uh, why, you know, why not just go where I'm treated best? Yeah, I remember, um, I think my first sort of tax bill ever, uh, and, and wanting to sort of stipulate, like, please do not buy more bombs, you know, like, you know, do good things with this. And you, you really do. <laughs> uh, Isn't that the worst one? The first, the first one is the worst one. The first, yeah. And, and, and um, you know, so actually, I, generally, I'm still sort of insulated from that. I have most, my tax bills reduced by expenses, keep reinvesting in the business. And yeah. Um, but I, but I also, you know, see that it's coming. Like if I, <laughs> I make too much money, then I'll just have to give it away. And so I, I, I just had a guy, pardon me, I just had a guy who did that and he started, he's hired us three different times. And <laughs> first time three years ago, he was building a company. It wasn't profitable. He just sold it uh, for about $400 million. And so sure. He wasn't profitable. I had another couple right now. That's their business. Uh, just finished with them. They're uh um, they build up unprofitable tech companies and sell them. It's like, yeah, a lot of people have not only income tax problems, but capital gains tax problems. And the guy with the $400 million problem, had he moved a lot sooner, he could have mitigated that bill on tax bill by tens of millions of dollars. You imagine in your forties, investing tens of millions of dollars in extra money. Okay. Yeah. $400 million. You're doing all right. But I mean, imagine it's, it's like generational wealth. It's giving it so many things. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it was sort of a leap for, for me and even people to sort of see me being a digital nomad and just traveling for so long. And most people are still in this sort of, I'm going to take a vacation once a year kind of mindset to renounce your citizenship, I think is a bigger step that most people would never even know is possible. Um, could you, could you say what it was like maybe to, when you, when you finally decided to renounce your U S citizenship? Yeah, so for, for years, I, uh, I, I traveled and then full-time traveled and, and later lived as I do now outside of the United States and, and uh, a little over three years ago decided uh, to formally expatriate, renounce my U.S. citizenship. Uh, and I have to say, by the way, they were extremely nice. People think like they're going to be really nasty. I guess sometimes they are, but they were super nice to me. And uh, I realized, I said, you know, I'm a pretty conservative guy. Um, you know, I'm a pretty libertarian guy, I guess. Um, obviously, I think that taxes should be as low as possible. Government should be as small as possible. Um, you know, you know, maybe socially more liberal. But um, I said, America first, Donald Trump. I, I'll tax cuts, all for it, whatever. I said, America first. I mean, like, as if this is a country that goes in and they like break up other countries. Believe me, I don't, this is not a country that's last in the world. Okay. But so many people, because their jobs went to other countries that, this, you know, you were, I think we were talking about Vietnam and other places in Asia, th these places deserve a middle class too. And so as a result, the U.S. isn't as competitive anymore. People actually have to deliver value rather than just being born in the, wrong, in the right place. And so now, you know, a lot of people are angry. They think, oh, America's not first anymore. And so Trump comes in America first. And I said, this is not going to be good for people like me because you saw what he said from the beginning and you saw what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually did, which was, if you're a guy overseas and you're keeping your money overseas, which was the law since 1986, they're going to apply a one-time retroactive tax on all that money. And, you know, I just basically said before that happened, I said, this America first is not going to work. I said, the country's going in the wrong way. I said, you have politicians who want all kinds. I mean, they're calling for the heads of people who are entrepreneurs. Um, 
and I just, it can't get any better. My father and I talked about this uh, in, the, in the 1990s when I was a teenager. He said, uh, there's always a rise and fall of empires. And he says, this, this empire that we live in may be good now, but I said, he said, in 20 years, it won't be the place for you if you want to be successful. And he was right. And uh, he said, go where you're treated best. It was, he, he made up the, the five magic words. And I just realized, I said, I don't want to stick around. And now you look this last year, the embassies by the order of the State Department were closed. You can't renounce your citizenship. I mean, imagine that, right? Hmm. If they did that in some African banana republic, the UN and the US and the UK would be calling them a, a, a totalitarian dictatorship. But the US government and, and every government, right? They use excuses. They have a convenient excuse. Nobody can renounce. And what if your crypto has gone up fourfold in the last year and you wanted to renounce? Well, maybe you couldn't. Tough. Now you got to pay us. And I just realized it's not going to get better. And so I think you really hit the nail on the head that um, people don't do it because they really don't imagine. And the defense mechanism is, um, well, so, so many people are coming to our country. So you're an idiot for leaving it. Not only did, was there just an article about how net migration from Mexico is in favor of Mexico, people are leaving. They're going back. More people are leaving than are coming. And that's been the case off and on for years. But the people who are coming are, you know, God bless them. Many of them have very difficult situations. They just want an economic opportunity. The people who are leaving the U.S. have already created success. And they're saying, I don't have to live in the U.S. to be successful. I can live in Bogota. I can live in Kuala Lumpur or Hong Kong or Singapore or anywhere on the internet these days. I have 23-year-old kids from Morocco who make high six-figure income selling stuff online. And they didn't have the same privilege, but they managed to figure it out. Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Brazilians, people from all over the world call us Egyptians. Uh, we deal largely with Americans and Westerners, but those people call us because they've created great businesses. So apparently you don't have to be in the U.S. anymore. And so if you've already created success and you're wealthy, being American becomes a lot less enviable. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, the 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 opportunity that America presented for so long, which, you know, drew people here in the first place, is the same yeah. factors that's going to draw people somewhere else if there's better opportunities. And, and you know, that's your, your go where you're treated best. And I, I think people don't really, hadn't considered that there, there was a, a choice that could be made. This, you know, this where you were born, your family happened to be living there. Um, and yeah, it's a bit, of, it's a bit of a shakeup to, to consider that you, that you might leave. Um, I, I'm curious, your, your dad, uh, you, you mentioned him uh, here. He's, a, he's a, the one who coined the phrase. I saw that he's speaking at your, uh, your event down in Mexico. Yeah. So what's his, what's his role in, in shaping all of this? Well, yeah, we are having Nomad Capitalist Live, uh, God willing, this May in Playa del Carmen with Robert Kiyosaki and the former president of Georgia and others. But uh, my father, uh, you know, it's interesting coming from where we come from. Uh, you know, I don't come from a super close family in the context of much of the rest of the world where people are calling each other twice a day, right? That's not how my family works. But they did give me a tremendous permission slip from a very early age. And I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I guess I had some friends, you know, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, very ethnic town. I had friends who were like very Italian and very Irish and very, you know, whatever. 
And, you know, they had that kind of like, hey, when you're older, stick around with your pops kind of thing. And, and I was telling my father about it. He said, listen, he said, you know, we've worked very hard to be successful. And my father, you know, was in the financial business, he, you know, all the insurances and all that kind of stuff. He said, you know, we've got nursing home care. We've got this. We've got that. We've got to, we're going to be fine. He said, you don't have to stay in Cleveland just because your parents are here. You don't have to, you know, stick around for us. You don't have to stay in the same city. You don't have to stay in the same state if you want to go to California or wherever. You don't have to stay in the same country. You should go where you are treated best. And I got this amazing permission slip that so many parents, I think, around the world, and I've seen this all around the world, they look at kids, it's like it's an investment. It's like, I'm going to have these kids, I'm going to enjoy myself, uh, and uh, you know, I'm going to get excuses to get out of going to parties for 18 years, and then they're going to grow up, and then eventually it's going to be my annuity where they're going to come home and take care of me. And my dad said, listen, that's not, that's not the purpose. We did this to empower you to be a winner, and it was an amazing gift that so many people think, how do I leave my family? And my family realizes that if they want to come down, as they did a year ago to Mexico City for Christmas, they can do that. They want to come to Belgrade. They want to come to wherever. They do it. And you know what? They've been incredible because they see me doing this. And, and now they realize, you know what? Mexico City is not what we see on CNN. Our father, you know, our son is there. And it can't be that bad. So let's go down and see him. And they come down and they love it. And they explore. And now, you know, they're asking questions about doing this. And so uh, he's been a, a great influence. And I think was really well ahead of his time in terms of predicting so much of what has happened 20 and 25 years before it happened. He said entrepreneurs and successful people are never that popular, but he says it can become less. He says there's going to be a civil war someday in this country. I saw today 79% of people think that the United States is, is, uh, is basically heading towards a civil war. So, um, <laughs> you know, ha having that, uh, you know, it, it's incredible. Uh, and it was an incredible gift. You know, people say, uh, people think I was born with some kind of silver spoon and certainly being born in a, in a you know, successful family in the United States is certainly an advantage, no doubt about it. I inherited nothing. I was given nothing. I got no loans. Uh, but I did get this tremendous upbringing that now as I hire 30 some people, I'm teaching it to them in their 20s. And, and I've had to learn, you know, the, it's like everyone didn't learn that. Well, that's interesting. And it was a great gift. Yeah, that's really that's really fascinating. What maybe what in particular uh, are you noticing that that not everybody learned? Well, just you know, entrepreneurial skills. Now, I mean, I go around the world. I mean, I spent three months in Serbia. I mean, you know, say hello when someone walks into your store, right? I mean, you know, it's a little bit different everywhere. And and I think cultures are beautiful. But you know, what my thing is is. I left the United States because I realized there were some good things. And I've realized that more the longer I've been away and I'm not boiling in the stew, I'm able to give them credit where it's due. But I think, you know, the best culture is one. And then you look at a place like a Singapore or a Dubai where they say, let's take the best of everything and let's put it together and do that. Let's not do the, this is how we do it here, right? Well, listen, the way you've done it here uh, average salary, 711 euros a month, lagging your region, you know, you know, tons of corrupt, like, let's not lean on our laurels here when we're not exactly number one. And so many people want to act like their country is number one. Uh, and no country is number one in everything, let alone anything. I mean, you can't find a statistic where the U.S. is number one. Um, and so I, I just think that 
uh, people have not learned in so many cultures entrepreneurship. By the way, you go to, I look at places like um, India, some parts of Latin America, and I have a tremendous respect for what is almost forced entrepreneurship, where people don't have opportunities and they have to go out and sell something. And I have uh, such incredible respect when those people go and you see the guy from El Salvador who who goes to Los Angeles and, and works hard and opens a churro stand and then maybe opens a second churro stand or a third. You know, I had a mentor when I was 20 years old uh, in the radio business. He said his favorite people in his entire life was a, was a family, I think from Nigeria that moved to New York. He said, Andrew, they bought a gas station. And you know what they did? They lived in the gas station. The entire family lived in the gas station. And then they saved up the money. And then another guy went, and you know what? They bought another gas station. And the guy lived in the top of the gas station. And nobody really teaches that. And I think especially in the Western world, I mean, who is teaching like this? Even in countries like China now, I think it's changing where it's like consumption and like no delayed gratification. And it's fascinating to watch. Like nobody knows financial literacy. Nobody knows how to save money, like pay yourself first. Nobody knows like how do you, you know, like what? When I when we when we hired people in Serbia, we've got a, a staffing company. We pay their pension and all that kind of stuff. And I and I said, where do you think that money comes from? And they're like, I don't know. I guess it just comes from somewhere. It's like I pay it. I'm paying like forty percent. I'm talking. Okay, we're getting a tax break for the next two years because of COVID. But I'm like, I'm you know, you get like two grand. I'm paying almost three grand, or I'm paying for maybe for the next two years. It's twenty five hundred. They're just like, oh, I don't know. I just thought it came from somewhere. You know, it's like. Nobody knows how economics work, which is why, I mean, how much like the US government printed like 25% of all the US dollars ever last year. Nobody knows about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the, it's, it, as you're talking about these skills, the kids in the markets and they're like, they've got some little trick to grab your attention or they've like, they, they know exactly how to address you or they like change their accents based on who they're talking to. And they've done all this meticulous testing and experimenting to, you know, make a couple extra dollars uh, through their, their marketing efforts. And they're like, you know, they've really got their marketing dialed so much more. I, than... I, I got, by the way, I gotta be honest, Derek, being 14 years old and understanding some of macroeconomics, not a way to impress the ladies uh, in eighth grade. It's not what I would recommend. Right. It's good. That's a good point. Um, so let's um, geo geopolitics, macroeconomics, uh, since you are, you know, you're keeping track of the news of, you know, all the governments and their taxes and the citizenship and everything. Uh, have you noticed, I guess, I'd love to just sort of get your observations about the, the state of sort of geopolitics in the world. Take that and run with it however you want. Well, in what regard, perhaps? Well, I, I'm always interested, you know, I think, I think one of the reasons uh, America is the best or, or why it's had such success is because of its um, sort of geography. You, you know, we have great sure. transportation and rivers and we're sort of isolated by the oceans. Nobody can invade us really with a physical force and we have plenty of rainfall. So there's not deserts everywhere. Um, so there's all these things that sort of naturally make it wealthy. And that sort of lends to, I think, the sort of economics that we've experienced. Um, but now, uh, we're sort of transcending necessarily this, just the physical. Um, so Singapore doesn't have nearly that same raw materials and, and um, things to build wealth, but they're doing phenomenally well. 
so you know that's perhaps that's just one lens that I look through but um, yeah. yeah I'm just I'm just curious because there's all you're you're living in places all different cultures um, so yeah I, <laughs> I'm just I'm just hoping that, that'll sure. spark a, spark an idea for you yeah I mean I, I think what's interesting I mean I look at a country like the United States as a legacy brand right? I mean, it's like a marketing campaign. You couldn't hire an ad agency on Madison Avenue to do as good a job as the U.S. government has done for your brand, and maybe California in particular, uh, where people really look at this as it's spectacular. And then you go to California. I remember I used to live in Arizona and drive to California, and when you drove into California, the roads, you would think of a flat tire because the roads were so bad. And you think, why are they paying so much more tax for this? It's worse. But they're legacy brands. And so I look at you know, the rise and fall of societies. I mean, if you look, if you go back thousands of years and you look at the economic center of the world, it was distinctly over Asia. And over the last you know, hundreds of years, it's been moving to the West. And I think it got as far as perhaps uh, you know, somewhere over France or Belgium. And now it's gradually moving back, the center of, of commerce and the center of the economy in the world. And so you know, I think that a lot of countries that are these legacy brands had their day in the sun. They're still enjoying it. I mean, how many of us know a brand that is uh, was always known for quality? You know, maybe it's Louis Vuitton trunks, right? I don't think that the quality of Louis Vuitton luggage today, which is sold so that people can you know go and have the logo and and look cool, is nearly as good as the quality when Louis Vuitton was you know creating its legacy brand back a uh, hundred plus years ago. And I think the same thing applies to these kinds of countries. And so what you've seen is, as you mentioned, Singapore, South. Korea, uh, the Asian tigers, um, they have decided we're going to be successful and they've created something tremendous. I mean, even look at China. I mean, it's a communist country, but they decided in 1979 to create this special economic zone in Shenzhen on the border with Hong Kong and look at what it's become. I mean, it's like anything you've ever seen. You know, for me, it goes back to my thing. It's all about culture and being a, a Midwestern American Protestant. I mean, I always say that, uh, you know, uh, my family and my culture's motto is winter is coming. It's never enough. Keep working. Put the firewood, you know, chop more firewood. Get ready. Let's go. Right. It's never you're never quite ready. And I look at cultures that are big believers in hard work and big believers that you have to provide value if you want to win. That was once the thing in America, quote unquote. But the reality is the the philosophical concept of America has now been, as I mentioned, taken by other places and says we can do this. If you look at the at the Heritage Foundation every year, my father would read this over the dinner table when I was you know 15 years old. Every year they put out the Index of Economic Freedom. The United States is slid; it's barely in the top 20 anymore. And interestingly to me is it is now surpassed by four recently ex-communist countries. It is also surpassed by some countries that everyone in the United States would laugh and make fun of, like Denmark. I mean, when Denmark is beating you, you've really got a problem. All right. But for ex-communist countries, countries like the country of Georgia, which I started talking about a number of years ago, and now it's become quite popular in the nomad scene. And uh, they are one of the easiest places in the world to do business. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. And I think in the last couple of years, while it's still good, um, you know, they've maybe taken a half a step backwards. I think it's still a good investment, maybe not the best, you know, quite as good as, the, but it's very easy. And they've said, we have to make things easy for people. Singapore says we have to make things easy. We have to go and create a product that beats. And you look at even Japan, by the way, you know, you've seen the memes for years where uh, they show Nagasaki, for example, and they show Detroit and they said, who won the war? 
And the Japanese did a better job of having a culture that valued uh, hard work and innovation. And the West has rested on its laurels. And when I go out in Bogota and I look for sofas and I hear the, oh, it's made in Italy, I run the other way. Because talk about a legacy brand. I bought a sofa from Italy once. It took like a year and a half to arrive. And the guy shouted at me as he delivered it. I said, never again am I doing one of these deals where I order a sofa from these lazy bums. Listen, they were popular, like, like, you know, 500 years ago, the Republic of Veneta was a thing. It's not a thing anymore. It's a, it's a has-been. So I don't want to be with has-beens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess, I guess we're just seeing, seeing the shift before our eyes and uh, maybe it's coming faster than than most people expected. And I'm kind of curious, um, thinking, thinking back to, you, you know, your dad and, and my dad, he's now retired. And uh, a lot of people that I know are, are retiring and they have a chunk of savings. They have, you know, let's say 5 million saved up in some retirement fund or something like that, but they're not necessarily the type of people I would expect to renounce their citizenship and, and necessarily have uh, multiple homes around the world. Is there something that you offer to, to those type of people that there could be an advantage to how they invest uh, by, by moving offshore or having multiple bank accounts around the world? Well, I think the beautiful thing about nomad capitalists, I mean, first of all, nomad, people think it's, it's like you have to be dragging a suitcase behind you. But in reality, I always thought of it as the nomads of the, of the Mongolian or the Central Asian steppe, right? Where there's the herd and they go and they feast and they you know, shear the sheep and they get everything they need. And then the herd moves and they move with it. And that's how I think people should live. That why are you staying in a country where the Capitol building is being attacked like you're in a banana republic? Did you see uh, the other day where there were like Republicans who were saying, my fellow congressmen are afraid to vote to impeach Trump for a second time because they're afraid that people are going to come and murder them and murder their families. Have you watched Narcos? Have you seen the show? Remember like when Pablo Escobar, like he had, he had everyone under his thumb and you couldn't like, you know, do anything if you were the legislature. It's, it's now the United States and people want to hang around because that's what they know. And so what I've seen a, a great, uh, in the last year, a, a surge in is people coming, retired or near retirement, families, you know, two kids, four kids, whatever, saying, I want a plan B. And I've also seen people saying, um, I don't believe in investing here anymore. Um, I had a guy who sold a software company for a lot of money, and he said, I can't find good deals here anymore. And so I look at emerging markets. I've been a big proponent of places like uh, Cambodia. I think there are opportunities here in Colombia. I think um, you know, there are opportunities in, in perhaps parts of places like Georgia. Um, I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. But I mean, Asia, Africa, these are going to be the big drivers of the 21st century. And I think that markets that people are laughing at are going to be the huge success story. I have a friend, he runs an investment fund in uh, Cambodia. And I believe like, if not every dollar, almost every dollar of rent was paid this year. There was no, you don't have to pay. There was no, you know, work from home, but you can't work for, it was just like every dollar was collected. And the, you know, the value of the fund, the properties went up money was collected. You can't say that if you, I have landlords, I had a guy, he's a landlord in New York, he's dying. And 
Um, so I, I look at that, I look at investment opportunities somewhere else. Sometimes you can invest. I think there are actually some underpriced opportunities in a place like Istanbul. You can get a passport. You, I mean, a lot of Americans might not think they want a Turkish passport, but you can get a passport just for investing. And so what other people have said is, my country is not what I remember it to be. I want to have a second option. It's like the old Chinese motto. You have a, uh, some gold bars and a second set of papers and a swift boat down by the harbor. If you want, if you need to get out because times are getting tough, you need a second citizenship. You need some cash. You need to know you've got something somewhere else. So that could be gold vaulted overseas. It could be a bank account overseas. It could be um, uh, moving part of your business overseas and just diversifying. If you have a company and hiring people overseas in places where it's more affordable, people are more interested in working. Uh, it could be having a second passport, maybe a second residence where you at least know you can go and live. Right when. When everything hits the fan during the pandemic or the next thing to happen, you have a place to go. And I think that's easier if you own a home, because when you know where you're going and you can imagine like that's our home, it's easier to go there than just I'm a citizen of St. Lucia and I have no idea what it looks like because I did this whole process in six months through FedEx. Um, but I think you've seen people looking to invest outside of the U.S. and especially looking to get a second citizenship, a safe haven where they can go. People who never want to leave unless they have to, and they don't care about taxes. I think I think you mentioned Jim Rogers earlier, and he, he has this fantastic story of his round the world trips and investing. Like he was the first person to buy stock in some of these African countries, and, um, and now here you're talking about you know investing in Istanbul and Cambodia and stuff. Um, so so maybe it's a little different than than he did it, but there's still it seems like a, a, a wide opportunity for markets where uh, investing where there's blood in the streets or investing where people are laughing at it. Um, and you do some uh, tours of, of these properties. I've seen some of your YouTube videos where you're like, here's what the real estate looks like in, in these places. Um, where, where have you uh, enjoyed investing the most? Well, I mean, I think that Cambodia has probably been one of the biggest winners. I've done some good deals in Georgia. Certainly Georgian prices have gone up a lot. Um, I took some time off from investing, but right now I've actually been doing a lot of investing, not directly, but, um, but through funds and things in places like India. I think Indonesia offers a lot of opportunity. I mean, I'm looking for pretty much anywhere that people uh, laugh at. Um, now, I think that culture, again, is very important. And so uh, if your country is communist, I mean, I'm not investing in Bolivia. Um, however, you look at a place like Colombia, uh, again, not perfect. But if you look at the ratings, it is pretty much the second freest economy in South America next to Chile, which is going downhill. They've, they've suffered what I call the visa waiver curse, where once you can travel visa-free to the United States, you're too rich, and then you just start descending into socialism and taking people's stuff. And I was there last year and walking through tear gas, and it was crazy. But, um, you know, people laugh at Colombia because they, they watch narcos. They laugh at Turkey. Have you been to Turkey? Um, you know, people like to talk about buying when there's blood in the streets. Have you seen the Turkish lira recently? Um, I mean, it's, by the way, the U.S. dollar has been doing so terribly in the latter half, since the latter half of 2020. Even the Turkish lira is appreciating now against the U.S. dollar. Uh, you had a great opportunity in early 2020 when everyone was freaking out and, and moving into dollars to, to get some great deals around the world. But um, I, I just think that, you know, the it all comes down to psychology. Um, we all want to think we're born in the best place. In many of our countries, governments reinforce that. Uh, and I think that when you mentioned that the U.S. geopolitically was 
was you know isolated and that's their their military advantage i also think it's their their economic disadvantage in a sense in that you know australia is the same way you see an american or an australian compared to someone from the uk um or someone from a culture that has uh immigration like ireland like armenia i mean these people they're so much more aware of what's going on and they go and find the great deals and these people who are in countries where they're so isolated, I think it's hard for them to be open to that. And so I think that you probably find a lot more people in Germany who would be open to investing in Turkey, um, realizing, hey, uh, 20 million people in a culture that actually has children uh, with an economy that has been pushing and doing a great job of creating a manufacturing economy that has been you know, outperforming China for mid-tier you know, services that competes, you know, on the, with Italy on the high level, China on the low level, they're doing a great job in this kind of, you know, middle priced washing machines and all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that in the long run going to be a bad investment? Uh, if you're buying in great areas where people are secular and um, there's a certain dollarized value to economy, to, to property, whatever the lira may be, uh, you know, to me, that's a deal. And you have to buy when there's blood in the streets, you have to get a little blood on your hands. <laughs> so, so, you, can't, good... you can't just sit back in your in your lily white gloves. I, I saw a guy on, on on social media today saying like, uh, I I say don't stay in fight. Just go where you're treated best. The country's descending into chaos. Listen, I'm I'm the anti JFK. Ask what your country can do for you. You've paid them a lot of money. That's their job. They're supposed to be do they're supposed to be working for you, and they're not doing anything. So if your country is not working for you and they're causing chaos and you've got a problem. You should you shouldn't stay and fight for the country because what are you going to do? You're going to take on the U.S. military. These guys, these tough guys, they're the, like the fake tough guys. I got my guns in my garage. Great, I'm sure the U.S. military with their tanks and their helicopter. I'm sure you'll you'll be a, a, a very formidable match for them. So you know, but but he said, listen, everyone wants to be a tough guy. The guy in social media said everyone wants to be a tough guy, but no one wants to throw the first rock. They all want to sit back and type on Twitter how they're a tough guy. Listen. Just go where you're treated best. You don't need to steep in anger in your own country. You can go out and find a world of opportunities from investing to dating to whatever you want. Yeah, I love that. And it's and it's important, you know, what you mentioned, the psychology of, um, you know, someone uh, explained this to me the other day, like they say uh, you should you should buy, buy low and sell high and, but yeah. that, um, you know, do what other people aren't doing or, or buy when people are scared. And he said, you know who people are, they're you. Yeah. So you should buy when you're scared. And it almost, because right. you're, you're part of the people. And there's almost sort of that same, um, you know, perhaps it does feel risky. And, and it's the first time you invest in another country, it's, I'm sure, yeah, sure would feel this huge unknown thing. Actually, maybe you could talk about what was what was the first thing, you, major you, investment or purchase you, you did. Do you know what else feels risky when you do it the first time? Having sex. I, no one's <laughs> no one's clinging to their virginity at fifty two years old because they don't. Listen, you get in there, you do it, and you get over it. And um, you know, I, I don't remember my very first deal, but I remember an early deal, and I was buying a property in Tbilisi, Georgia. And it was, we negotiated it down. I had a lawyer, always a good idea to find a lawyer in these countries because they really, uh, they know, they know a whole network of people and, you know, all that. 
And so we negotiated this down to $22,000, like this, this little space. And it was a cash deal. People, you know, can I get a mortgage on this? I mean, when I say cash, I mean like really cash. And I remember talking to uh, the lawyer and I said, like, like, you mean you're going to go take cash to the bank? He said, yeah. And then I'm like, and then, and then what? He's like, well, then you're going to walk to the closing table at the, uh, the notary office. And I said, well, well, what if, uh, what if something happens? Now, Georgia is one of like the five safest countries in the world. You could walk around, you know, you could be a woman walking around, you know, naked at three in the morning and you'd be, you'd be fine. But he, he said, like, Andrew, no, this is no problem. Uh, don't worry. You will go with my partner. He is my friend. He is black belt in karate. If someone comes, you cha-cha-cha. And, um, <laughs> And we walked like, I don't know, half a mile or something to, you know, up this uh, street in Old Town Tbilisi. We went to the notary and the deal went down, you know, beautifully. And we all signed and I owned the property. And, you know, it seems weird, right? But now it's the point where uh, I have a, a coach last year. He's like, listen, Andrew, you're a little stressed. Uh, why don't we make a deal? How about one citizenship and one new house a year? I said, ah. I don't know if I can do that because I'm so, it's like, it's so easy now because you've done it. Right. Um, and I think that um, being diversified, I mean, if you just look at the last year um, financially, personally, I have not suffered the way people have suffered. I have places to go. I have moved like when, when things get bad in one place, I go to the next place and I have the right to do that. And I'm not begging as a tourist. I'm going as a resident, going as a citizen. Um, I have different passports. If you know, in Malaysia where I live, um, my wife is originally from Moscow. I was originally from the U.S. Neither Russians nor Americans can enter Malaysia as residents because their countries are COVID basket cases. But yet, we're not using those passports. I'm obviously don't have a U.S. passport anymore. Uh, but you know, we use other passports, and they're not on the naughty list. And so I think that you know the idea of being financially diversified. Um, being personally diversified, having things spread out has been really successful. Um, obviously, the last year has been successful for us as a business because people are, um, I think they're seeing what's really happening, what I've been talking about for years and what I've been being laughed at and um, uh, for some of those years, right? And now people are finally starting to, re I've had so many people say, I would never think five years ago I was going to do this. Never think. Yeah, it's, it's perfect timing for you to be the expert in this. Um, how many, I, it's, I can imagine, I only have just the U.S. passport, but I can imagine it would feel so cool to have a bunch of passports. <laughs> it's like James Bond, yeah. you know, when he opens his dash and they got the backup passports. Uh, how many passports do you have? Uh, it's hard to keep track these days. I don't, I don't talk about all of them. I've talked about the economic ones and I've, did, I've done St. Lucia. I did a program called the Comoros, which people kind of misunderstand because uh, they suspended the, pro there were two different programs in the Comoros. It's this African like archipelago. Uh, uh, and it's a nice like backup passport. You can travel to Asia with it. Like I've been to Singapore and stuff. And so I keep the citizenship. I actually have a good relationship with some people in the, uh, uh, you know, the government there. They've been very nice to me, but uh, um, you know, they suspended the program. I'm still a citizen. I have a certificate of citizenship and um, I have some others. Uh, I'm working on a couple right now. It's kind of become a hobby for me. I remember I went in for a visa appointment. The guy's like, why do you have this one? It's like, I don't know, I kind of enjoy it. And I think he thought I was BSing him, but like I honestly kind of do. And I think more importantly, um, as a consumer of this stuff, I think that I'm different. Even though I work with attorneys, I work with accountants to do the proper stuff that has to be done by them. I think 
you know, I speak to a human ap aspect of doing this where I understand why you are coming to me. And I understand the process in a personal level that someone who just has a business selling passports doesn't, or a guy who is the Panama immigration attorney doesn't, right? And um, so I don't know how many, I, I guess, I guess if all goes well, maybe in a year or so, it'll be half a dozen or something. There's a guy with eight. So maybe that should be oh. the target. <laughs> I gotta, you know, go after it. Uh, maybe, maybe he'll leave you, leave you a couple. Um, I, but... I've always said there should be, there should be a marketplace and we should, I mean, imagine if that was the case, if there was a market and you thought I was going to be concise, by the way, <laughs> imagine if there was a marketplace for um, like, Hey, I'm, um, Rwandan, I, I, but I'm a really rich Rwandan and I want to be American. Like I'll trade you passports and give you how much? 7 million? Like how much would it be? I wonder if we could do that. It'd be fascinating. But alas, we can't and the guy can't leave me his passport. So I'll have to go out and schlep and get three more. But, I, but more, I appreciate that you're, that you're walking, walking the talk because it's like sometimes, you know, in, in my business, I'm like learning a thing about some social media. I'm like, do I really want to learn all this? And it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to be, you know, getting this out to my clients and customers. So I need to be yeah. the expert so I can reteach it. So yeah, I, I appreciate that you're doing that. Um, <clears throat> let's see, where do we, where do we want to go with this? Um, I, I so, so I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, Robert, Robert Kiyosaki speaking at your event and you, you mentioned meeting these lawyers in these yeah. countries. Uh, and now you've got this, this team of people that support you and uh, the president of Georgia, former president of Georgia is speaking. So you have a really interesting network yeah. that you've built over the years. What's your, how do you approach, uh, how do you approach this networking around the world? I, you know, I think what I've learned in this business about so many things is it just really is about putting out the work or, you know, doing the work. Um, you know, we put out a YouTube video every day. Um, when we first started, we put, a, put out a blog post every day. Then we kind of shifted to YouTube. We still have people who write blog posts, which are summaries of the videos or which are kind of um, research projects from our team, whatever. But um, I think it's putting in the work. And so it's hard to do uh, when you're sitting in Orlando, Florida or in Adelaide, Australia. Um, you have to go out there and do it. It's just been years of boots on the ground. And listen, you make mistakes. I think one of the great things I've, I've really re-emphasized for myself in the last nine months or so is I read Bob Iger's book, Right of a Lifetime. I'm not a corporate guy. He's a very high-level corporate guy. He was the CEO of Disney. And, um, you know, we talked about how many mistakes they made at Disney. You go back and look at Disney. I mean, under his uh, rule, under Michael Eisner, I mean, they did, they started, they tried so many things that didn't work. And I think that today, so many people are, are influencers or, you know, as I call it, celebrities, the, the lowercase c. And there's this kind of hatred coming out there where it's like, if you ever fail at anything, you're not doing it right. And I think people have a tendency, or it's easy at least to buy into that when you're first starting. And for me, the experience is go out there, do deals, start small, um, but grow and you know, figure out. And you develop a spidey sense the more you do it. You develop an understanding of cultures and the fact that if you come to Colombia and the lawyer's on time, you're doing really well. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so, I, you know, I think it's just, years and years and years. I mean, it's, it's like, how do you do anything? Um, 
I don't think there's a way to sit at home and do it, um, especially overseas. I mean, we have a research team. We put them on the road every once in a while. Um, if we don't physically go to El Salvador, we don't learn what's happening in El Salvador. It's just, you can't email these guys by and large. You're not going to get any information. You've got to go. And when people say like, oh, the, like when the digital nomads say the whole world is going to be nomadic and like, this is the future. It certainly is part of the future, no doubt. Um, but if you don't understand, like you don't understand the work culture in Serbia or in Georgia or in Honduras, you go and talk about this lifestyle. I mean, I remember uh, meeting my wife and my wife, uh, you know, she's a, she's a doctor. And she's like, what is this like online business? She's like, I know fireman, I know construction worker, I know dentist, like mailman. These are the jobs I know. Like, what is this, like affiliate mark? This is not, I don't know what this is, right? And so many people outside of, you know, the little bubble don't really understand what this is. They may get there at some point in the future, uh, at least some of them, uh, but, you know, so much of the world, and this is why, by the way, in my world, uh, people say, well, what are you going to do about the pandemic? Uh, I said the countries that I'm interested in living in, investing in, being in, largely real. I don't know if anyone's been perfect. I mean, Mexico, Brazil have done an okay job. Malaysia was actually not that bad, but um, Serbia's not been that bad. But, you know, they realize, like, we have to have an economy. You look at yeah. Portugal and Spain, which are next to each other. Spain has the legacy brand. It's a bigger country. They can afford to be a lot bigger jerks to people. They can say, you know what? You own a, you own a property in Barcelona? Nobody's living there? We're going to come and take it after a while. Like, you're going to come and take someone's property that they own? Portugal, I think the government, like, kind of, sort of wants to do that. But they're like, we have, like, seven people living here. We need foreign investors. So we can't go and take someone's property because we aren't the legacy brand for, you know, fun in the sun. And so like, they have to be competitive. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's just, uh, just reminding, we, we lived in Portugal for a little while and they had this thing where um, buildings could be passed, uh, property could be passed down to like multiple family members. And sometimes like skyscrapers in Lisbon were owned by 40 people and there's no way they could figure out who could, how to sell it because, and so that you just had these empty buildings that nobody, nobody could figure out what to do it. <laughs> um, hmm. Yes. Uh, and, and tell me, I want, I want to know about your, your team. I saw, I think something about your, your Christmas party. One, it's, yeah. it seems like your team is full of uh, only beautiful women. Um, so great job putting that team together. Um, but there is, so they're all, that seems like your, your Serbian based team. Yeah. Um, what are they doing? And I'm curious, you know, you put out a video a day, but then your team, I'm sure is working for your clients and stuff. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about uh, both the team? Yeah. Yeah. Start there. No, I mean, so we've got, yeah. Um, listen, I mean, I, I, I did a, I remember being in Romania about six years ago and meeting some people and saying, wow, not only is the English great, but the American accent is great. And this would be a great place to hire. And we put out the word um, we put in a Facebook ad at one point for hiring. And I said, you know, let, let's just add the neighboring countries too. And, and Serbia turned out to be the, the biggest one. Uh, we later expanded a little bit into Macedonia, um, which didn't, we, we got some people kind of by referral. And so we've got a little team down there, but, but it didn't go as well. Armenia has been a great place for us. Um, Georgia has been okay. Um, and so, yeah, we've got about 
30 people plus probably another five or six kind of like devoted people who mostly, you know, work for us. And so it's marketing, which is, you know, managing the website and the blog and editing the videos and scheduling the videos and running social media and all of that. Um, it is, of course, people who, you know, speak to people who reach out to us, right? So if you call us or you, you know, you fill out an application, can we help you? You talk to them, do you want to pay, right? You know, sales department. Um, there's the strategy department that helps me personally create plans as a back office and also increasingly, I mean, we've really developed some great talent there where they know more about some of the taxation issues in some countries than I do, like in Europe. Uh, they know more about certain things. And so I've really developed a very complimentary team as well as a research team because you have to, you know, we have a thousand banks that we have in our network. Um, some of them, I just got an email from a woman the other day in Singapore. We're not taking offshore companies anymore. Well, you better know that. And we can't be perfect, but we have to know as well as we can what's happening, which new banks are opening up. You make a connection, you go to the, you go to Prague, you meet a guy. Um, you're keeping up to date with immigration law changes, tax law changes. And then the biggest department is what we call the operations department, which is um, when you come and work with me and create a plan, we kind of create a holistic plan that's based on finance, residents and citizenship and investments. Those things should all complement each other. But if you do it wrong, they'll kill each other, right? If you make the wrong investment and you're a U.S. citizen, you're going to like double your tax, right? You know, just, there's certain things like that, right? Mm -hmm. you have to, it has to all work nicely together. And so we make the plans with myself and strategy. And then if you want to execute that, you know, the operations team is basically your general contractor where you get a person who is your point person and they coordinate between 11 different attorneys and accountants to make sure the guy in Hong Kong who only knows Hong Kong doesn't screw up what you're doing in Panama or that the guy in Panama doesn't screw up what you're doing in the U S because like, you know, so the guy in Hong Kong says, well, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, because he's a U.S. citizen, that's going to be suicide, right? <laughs> and so someone has to kind of be the guy, you know, telling them, like the plumber, hey, no, 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 he's going to put the piping down before you put the roof on. Like, so that's the biggest department and it's been expanding and we've had to be, you know, hiring people like a year out because we need to train them because we know people are coming. But uh, it's basically those four departments and then poor old Dan, Dan's just kind of on his own, like in a little island of business and accounting. <laughs> um, and uh, what part do you what what's like your jam? What part do you really love the most? I, I'm a very curious person. I like research. Now, at times, you know, I'm glad I'm no longer the one calling a hundred banks a day. I mean, that's basically a sales job, right? You're calling and trying to develop contacts, and uh, I'm glad that's no longer me. Um, but I like the idea of what's happening. What are the new opportunities? I love the idea. Like I've always talked for years about what's the next Singapore. I don't think there will be one. I think there will be multiple. There'll be one place that's good for this. And the, there's not going to be one great panacea in the way Singapore was just this amazing place. Um, but there'll be things that are good for each thing. And so I love seeing that develop. Uh, I like making videos. I guess the talent becomes at times a little monotonous. Uh, I like speaking to people. Um, I do it one day a week, like, you know, sun up to, to you know, bedtime, like 13 hours a day. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you also just like strategizing where you're going. It's been really a beautiful thing. And it's something I'm very proud of to go back to your earlier comment of seeing people on the team. Uh, you know, Jovana Bakovic, who works, she, she helps people, you know, get, get, you know, the intake process. And she started working with this, I don't know, four years ago. She was really you know, pretty young. And 
she thought I was full of crap when she first, she told me later, this guy is not what he's talking about. And one of the proudest moments was like seeing each time that she or someone else realized like, uh, yeah, you know what, this guy, he may be a little rough around the edge of the times, or it may have a kind of a different approach to some people or, you know, but uh, I can see why now, right? And now they're more aggressive than I am in protecting the brand and making sure we bring in the right people. And, and you know, they're more particular than I am at bring, making sure we have the right lawyers and all that. And so uh, I think, you know, also mentoring people and, and seeing people who want to be mentored because, you know, when you're first starting in business, uh, you probably hire some of the wrong people and you accept that for too long. And so being able to have the wisdom to hire the right people who want to be mentored and seeing that has also been fantastic. Yeah, that's a that's Hope a great, answer the question. No, that's wonderful. That's a that's a great feeling. When you're creating videos, do you do you batch them? Do you record a whole bunch of YouTube videos at once to to do a video a day? You are going to be breaking news because this is a question I think nobody has known. People have speculated for years, so I want people to pay attention. This is uh, you're you're breaking a big scoop here. Uh, yeah. I, uh, so well, so during the uh, during the uh, the pandemic, when uh, the, the the peak of it, when the videographer couldn't get to me, uh, fortunately, I had a photographer friend who convinced me to buy this beautiful Leica camera. And so Mrs. H, my wife, she was learning. She's always like photography. She learned like from the. He's like telling her like through the uh, the phone, like you know how to how to make videos, and she's made beautiful videos. And so we would do them at home, and it became a little bit lazier because it'd be like I don't know, let's make five. I'm, I'm in the mood for five right now. You'd spend an hour, you'd do it. Um, but yeah, historically, I remember um, we were in Macau a couple of years ago and I met this brand new videographer that was working for us at the time. And I'm like, um, we're going to spend, he's like, what, what's the project? I'm like, we're going to spend a day and I'm going to record 30 videos. Oh my gosh. He's like, yeah, like, okay, we're, you're not going to record 30 videos. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm going to sit down. I have a list of videos I'm going to talk about. I'm going to do it in like one or two takes and you're going to, now we're going to do the next one. He's like, it's impossible. I'm like, okay, well, just come and watch. And we did like, you know, 28 or 29 videos. We started at like nine in the morning and we finished at, you know, seven at night. And we did something like 29 videos. More recently, I've kind of, uh, because we have a guy who's more or less uh, full time with us, uh, we've, you know, I've started doing it like half days. Like, let's do two to eight at night and we'll do, you know, like 16 or 17 or something. But, uh, you know. That's, in, that's incredible. And, and, and it, how do you work from, so that your videos are 10 minutes long ish and you've got, you've got a punchy little uh, lead in and then you talk about it. Is it off the cuff once you decide the topic of the video or how are you preparing? Yeah, I'll take some notes. You know, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, again, just talk about Jerry Seinfeld talks about how like anything I do is material. And so I'll walk around, I'll be taking notes on a scratch pad or on a phone or something. I'm kind of, I've, I've been like 80 years old since I was born. So I'm still using like scratch pads and pens. I'm not like, you know, like a phone. I'm like, you know, when, in the pandemic, when they're like, can you scan the QR code to come into the store? I'm like, I have no idea how that works. You just give me the thing, I'll write down my name and phone number. Um, and I'm writing down notes for videos. And um, yeah, you know, I'll have a couple bullet points or something. I, I, I try and make it relatively tight. I also think that if it's too tight, then you're losing the spirit. You know, sometimes I think there are some people who they just want like only the facts, like what's the best country to incorporate offshore? Like they don't want any nuance. 
you know, this is a, you know, Tajikistan. All right, great. Off I go. Um, and they don't understand perhaps that like everyone has a different story. But I think that for me, I mean, 80% of doing this is being in the right mindset. And so I try and put that into each of the videos. And I think that being somewhat off the cuff is helpful where you have a couple of things you want to discuss from a strategic point of view. Uh, but again, I mean, you can talk all you want about St. Lucia's citizenship and you can travel visa free to 137 countries. But like, I want to tell you about the time that I went to Singapore and I was in the really long line and they're like, all right, you go over here and you go over here. And then you stand up and the guy's like, where's this from? I don't know. And like, what happens next? Like, to me, that's the story. And by the way, what happens next is they stamped it and on I went. But, you know, I think people want to hear that because they want a sense of, of comfort. They want to know, like, how is this going to apply to my life? Uh, I don't want to know, like, the, the sales pitch bullet points. Like, you know, um, and, and so I think being off the cuff has, has worked very well. Yeah, no, and, and you know, I was, uh, I was assuming what a little I knew, I asked you earlier about being in the broadcast industry that, that maybe you had uh, some journalism training or something like that. Um, but also you, if you've done dozens of videos and- uh, My anyway. training is dropping out of, or maybe, maybe failing, I forget, either dropping out or failing out of a party school. Uh, but certainly being around a father and a grandfather who were in public speaking, I suppose was, uh, was helpful. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we've we've covered a lot of a lot of stuff, and, and you've just like you you do on YouTube, you've dropped a lot of your own journey uh, along the way. And I'd love to if there's anything we haven't touched on or that I haven't asked you about that you think is important. Um, feel free to just. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, I'm I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I don't know what it's like to work. I mean, I've had little summer jobs in high school working at restaurants and stuff, but you know. Um, I don't know what it's like to have like a real corporate job. I don't know what it's like to really go to university. I, don't, I certainly don't know what it's like to work for a government or a bureaucracy. And so I just kind of have to a certain extent, my own little bubble of entrepreneurship. And that's what I know. And what is that bubble? Especially, you know, where I come from. And this is one of the things I teach people on my team. They'll be like, you know, you know, what people say around the world that I have to kind of beat out of them is, well, I tried my best. Nobody in the business world cares that you put in an effort. Try your worst if you want. If you get the desired result, that's what we're looking for. And I think that when it comes to the nomad capitalist stuff, again, it's finance. It's how do you lower your taxes? How do you protect your money? It's residence and citizenship. How do you live in places that serve you well? How do you make sure you're protected from just one country? It's, it's investments. How do you maximize the money you have? Um, if you, it's so easy to make excuses. It's so easy to say, oh, you know what people say in the U.S.? I'll leave when it gets bad enough. I don't know, but, you know, I was reading Time magazine in the year 2000 in high school. And I think over the last 20 years, the problems that you, people were talking about then and the problems they're talking about now are markedly worse. I mean, we had Edward Snowden. We've had recessions. We've had near depressions. We've had, I mean, we, how many different things, like we have, like the capital is literally under siege now in the country. Um, like, how bad does it have to get? And I think it's so easy, as in any walk of life that's not entrepreneurial, to make an excuse to say, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, and I think, I mean, by the way, I fully respect you if you decide living in California is the best thing and you refuse to acknowledge that there are any other beaches or any other girls in bikinis or any other nice restaurants anywhere in the world, you're wrong, but you're entitled to think that way. And I don't blame you for 
going where you want to go. Uh, but I think if you want to go where you're treated best, you have to really make an effort to divest yourself of really the propaganda that comes with living in one place, especially if that place is isolated, especially if your friends haven't traveled and you're just kind of in this bubble. Getting out there and seeing and making observations. Don't go to Italy on your next vacation. Don't go to Italy. When travel opens back up, please don't go to Italy. Go to somewhere. I would say go to somewhere and open a bank account. Go to Georgia, go to Armenia, go to Ecuador, go somewhere where you can put a hundred bucks in the bank and get a bank account and see what that feels like. And then go home and log on to the online bank. Now, maybe you've got to report that bank account in your country. I'm not telling you to hide your money from the government. So check with your offshore tax professional because your domestic tax professional probably has no clue. But, you know, do that. See a place that no one else is going. I've sent so many investors, for example, um, not to necessarily invest, but just to go to Armenia. And they go to Yerevan and say, this is a lot better than I thought it would be. Uh, and they thought it was going to be some hellhole. And certainly the country of Armenia is developing, but you get to parts of that capital city. It's beautiful. And the service is great. And I think that you have to get that mindset. Otherwise, you're going to go back to the excuse making. And if you're an entrepreneur and if you're successful, you can't do that. And you're not going to be able to do it here. And I think that what I wanted to mention earlier was, you know, it's so easy for those of us, I did this in my 20s, for those of us who are financially successful to think like I'm on the top of the world. And we screen some of these guys out who are 25 and it's their first big year, they made a million dollars. And it's like, you know, they're all too cocky about it. And just because you're good, I, I did the same thing. Just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're the expert in everything. And I think that, you know, thinking that somehow you've hit the jackpot and everything uh, is not a good way to think. There's always things to improve. And I think getting out there and seeing it will open up your mind to the fact that you can uh, do what we're talking about, whether it's one thing or, or the whole lot of things we've talked about. Yeah, and that's, that's really great advice. Um, just put $100 in and see how it feels, um, which would be, you know, just yeah, you, you, you can't, you can't know until you, you actually go out there and uh, experience you it for know. yourself. So, uh, Andrew, it's been, it was great having you on, uh, really, really was looking forward to this and, uh, it's been great chatting with you. Please point, uh, people to where they can find you online, where they can learn more about what you do. So I wrote the book called Nomad Capitalist. It's on Amazon. Um, it's not a how-to guide because everyone's situation is going to be different, but it is a lot more stories. It's a lot more ideas. It's a lot more suggestions. It might be the suggestion for you, or it might be the beginning of something. It's a great 275-page uh, you know, compilation. costs about 10 bucks, and you can get it on Kindle or on paperback. Uh, we have a YouTube channel on you. Know, it's called Nomad Capitalist. Uh, and then our website, nomadcapitalist.com, we've got close to 2,000 articles. And that's where you can also find about how we work, um, our services. It's very boutique, um, rather premium kind of service for high-level entrepreneurs and investors uh, who want a hands-on experience. Um, and you can click and you can find out how that works. You can answer some questions and uh, get in touch with us. And I think I would always suggest someone starts with, you know, learning. Because if you just come in cold... If you just like, I'm just going to call this guy. There's certain cultures where it's like, like, you know, in South Asia, they just look for the phone number and just call. It's not going to work, especially because I'm not just telling you to get a second passport. I'm telling you to look at an entirely new way of thinking. Read the book, watch as many of the videos as you can. If you prefer to read, read the blog posts. And then if you like what it is, 
Uh, then, you know, we have a service. We work with this year, probably 135 people or so. And um, that's what it is. Yeah, fantastic. And, and it's also just a great example for anybody who's learning about uh, marketing. And, you know, you, you, you say, like, we, we help seven and eight figure entrepreneurs go where it's truly best. And it's just a very clear, uh, you know, and you say we're a boutique service. So it's, it's very clear uh, who you're serving, but, but your material and the way of thinking is applicable sure. to so, so many people. So yeah, just really appreciate what you're doing. Um, the, the massive amount of research and work and experience that has gone into to all of this. Um, I think it's gonna help a lot of people. So thanks for doing it. I appreciate that. And, and I love it, you know, especially when we get, you know, I'm an 18 year old, I'm a 22 year old. I, I kind of wonder if some of these people's parents like hate me because they want them to go to school. Like you've got to go to school and become a cardiologist. And then, the guys in the jungles of, you know, uh, you know, Myanmar, like, you know, looking for uh, to start an ice cream stand or something. But it's really, um, it really, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, most people are not entrepreneurial. Uh, and it really makes me proud that people are, are looking at doing this stuff and realizing that uh, just because you're born someplace, you don't have to stay there. But I appreciate it. Well, I also want to point out just one, one thing I noticed what you're saying and, and for the listener to highlight when you're talking about the entrepreneurial, uh, you have to go out there and do things. And, and there's a, you know, what are you going to be 100% responsible for? And you're talking about trying your worst or trying your best. And, and it, what matters is that you get something done. And there's this element of the, the agency and power I have to, to go out there and finish something, to do something, to get it out in the world, um, which is just, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing, Andrew. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining. And uh, we'll talk soon. This is, you've been a, this, you're, you're one of the great interviewers, honestly. We've been so, uh, we've been so open. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it.